Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. For showing us that we can come to you, the one God, the one Lord over all creation. You have drawn us to yourself. We don't deserve it, Lord. You deserve all the glory and honour. We give you praise. We just come now to a time of corporate worship where we pray together over all sorts of things. Um, I invite you, if you would like to sit, you can. If you want to keep standing, you can. Let's just remain in an attitude of prayer. Earlier we talked about Jesus being strong and kind. I wonder if you've, as you've come into this place, you've brought with you things that are on your mind. There might be things about your own little world, about your family, your work, your friends, situation in this community that you live in. Or there might be things that are weighing on you that are worldwide problems. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring these things before the Lord, remembering that Jesus is strong and kind, just like we sang with the kids. He's strong, he's able to do something, and he's kind, he's compassionate, he wants to do something. So I'm going to lead you in a sort of an open prayer, and I want you to insert whatever is on your heart, heavy on your heart today, in that quiet space, all right, and then I'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you now acknowledging that you are strong, stronger than anything we could. Your weakness is stronger than human strength, it says in 1 Corinthians. You're up there on the cross, and that was your strongest moment. You are kind. You don't lord it over us with a hammer. But you come into our world and you are kind and compassionate and want to change us from the inside out. You want to be with us in our home, in our loneliness and in our in our sadness. And when we're weighed down by things in our own lives and in the world around us, you are there. So we acknowledge that now, Lord, and we want to spend time just meditating on who you are as the strong creator and saviour of the universe and the kind, loving, compassionate person who lays down his life for his friends. So let's spend a little bit of silence now. If you want to hold out your hands as a a physical gesture of, of holding things out to the Lord and allow him to speak into those situations and his strength and his kindness, let's do that now. Father God, we don't always know how to pray, but we thank you for your spirit who groans in us and, as it says in in Romans, he groans in us and gives us those prayers that even that words can't express. Thank you that you've heard each and every groan that's gone on in the hearts of the people here today and the people uh, listening in and joining us at home. And we thank you so much even if we don't know how to pray, you've got us, you're holding us, you're holding this world and you'll bring it to the end times when you'll bring your perfect plan to completion. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Thank you, Kathy, for, for leading us in that prayer. Yeah, I felt like the Lord really uh, speaking to us, that God is strong and kind. He's compassionate. He's reached out to us when we were far away, undeserving of his grace, and yet he lovingly puts his arms around us and calls us into his presence. <laughs> what a compassionate and loving God we have. Hey, can I get um, some of the guys who are up the back area just to maybe come come forward now that the kids are out in their kids' ministry? It would be nice to sort of have a sense of being in fellowship in a, a community together. So that would be great if you could just come forward. That would be wonderful. Well, good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to be amongst you today. My name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. Uh, if you're new uh, or if you're watching online, we just trust uh, that the Lord's presence uh, would be with you as we, we gather together around his word. I particularly want to pray, uh, if you are listening to this later as a podcast or in your car or riding your bike on your earphones, I particularly want to pray that God's presence would be with you in your moment of where you're listening to this and that you'd be really encouraged uh, in the word this morning uh, as we we gather around the word. Hey, um, we're going to be looking in the next couple of weeks at the, at Colossians. So if you've got your, your Bibles or your devices and you want to um, look up Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this, this wonderful uh, book in the Bible written by the Apostle Paul around AD 60 to 62, uh, the experts say. Now, I say that uh, to, to start with, because that's that's an interesting thing um, to note, because at this time, people who saw the resurrected Jesus were still around. And as Paul's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, the people who read it could actually then go and talk to the disciples, the people who actually saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, and to confirm the gospel that, that Paul is preaching. So it, and, and I also say that because it's not that long after Jesus is raised from the dead that the church is set up, the, the early church is, 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 is heading out, that things are starting to go away. It doesn't take very long, does it, for philosophies, for ideologies, for other ideas, contrary to the gospel, are starting to infiltrate and to start to to be thinking through uh, the, the church. And I say that because we sometimes doesn't take long for us to forget the simplicity of the gospel. And as we come to communion in it, uh, after the, the sermon this morning, Jesus says to remember. And we need to remember what he has done for us because we so easily forget and so easily perhaps get carried away with some ideas or philosophies or religious thoughts or requirements uh, or whatever it is that we we put on the, the simple gospel that is preached to us in Scripture. So Paul is in prison this is one of his prison epistles, and he's writing to the church in Colossae. Now, Paul hadn't actually uh, visited 
this church. He didn't start the church. Uh, he had he spent three years in in Ephesus, and Colossae is about a hundred miles or one hundred and sixty kilometers from Ephesus. So that time where Paul had this uh, intense ministry period, it had a huge influence on the whole region, uh, and people from certain towns would come and listen to uh, Paul's ministry, his teaching, his preaching. And there was one particular man from Colossae, and it says in, in Colossians, his name is Epaphras. Epaphras, thank you. I'm terrible at biblical names. I don't know if you've picked that up by now. Um, and, and he was a convert uh, in that time. And he goes up and he sets up this church and he visits Paul in, in, in prison and he comes with a report of what's happening in his own town, in the own church. And there are many good things that are happening, many good things. In fact, the first section that we're not going to be looking at, Paul starts, as he does in most of his letters, praising the church, saying what what wonderful things, what good news he hears about um, their faith and and how they're, they're beginning up. And then, but the main thrux and the point of reason for writing Colossians is Paul hears this report from this guy about some things that are starting to come into the church, some thoughts, some philosophies that are starting to influence, and Paul really wants to address this. He really wants to deal with what's happening. And so uh, that, that's what we have. So Paul writes this uh, this small letter. It's just four chapters. You can go home and read it over a cup of tea when you get home. That would be great. Typical Paul style, he starts with doctrine and he ends with practice. You see that in a lot of his letters. And it's, it's a really good uh, format for a sermon <laughs> that we start with the truth. We start with, with what is real, what is reality, what is, what is spoken to us, what is revealed to us in Scripture, and how do we then relate to that? How do we apply that to us? The indicative comes before the imperative. So Paul sets that out. He, he starts with the doctrine. He, 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 it's, he paints a picture of who Jesus is and what he has done, and then how do we relate to that. So let's get into this. We're just going to read this off the bat. I just want to start Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 15. It's quite a poetic letter, this particular um, passage of scripture, beautifully written. The Son is the that is Jesus. The Son Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Let's just pause there for a moment. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that, you, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, as we, we unpack it, as we look to it, uh, well, Lord, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, use it to, to change us, to inspire us. Uh, Lord, if there is anything that is, is happening in our, in our lives right now, Lord, that your words spoken over us this morning would be with changing hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your, your Bibles open because we're going to be, be going in and through uh, that passage. But to start with, I just want to share a, a little bit that um, quite recently us as a family have bought a caravan. We worked out that with six kids, if we were ever going to go on a holiday, hotels or cabins don't allow you to have eight people stay in one room for some reason. Um, so you have to hire out maybe two or maybe even three cabins or rooms. And, and in working out the cost of a holiday, it became sort of untenable. And so we decided, let's get a caravan so that we can just hook up and, and head off. And then this posed a problem because our normal people mover would not be able to tow a caravan, so that then we had to go out and buy a four-wheel drive. Um, now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever bought a car, isn't it amazing that every second car on the road is the same car that you just bought and you didn't notice them before that? Yeah, so that's been happening to me. And as I've been watching all the Prados um, pass me by, um, my typical male uh, self is looking at all the accessories on, on all these Prados. Oh, look at that roof rack. Oh, yeah, look at those driving lights. Look at that bull bar and the winch. And, and I start dreaming, thinking about all these things that you might want to be able to add to a four-wheel drive to make it, make it more pleasurable to be able to use in whatever situation. And uh, perhaps it's a guy thing. Maybe, maybe some of the women are into it as well. I don't know, particularly a, a guy thing. Um, we like to add stuff to what was the original product to, to personalise it. And it's called accessorising. And I've got a couple of examples here. I just quickly Googled a couple of things. Here is a guy who thinks that the two driving lights aren't enough. Obviously, he needs a few more. Um, and I don't know what those... They look like disabled toilet rails on the, the bonnet. I don't know what they're for. But it's not just a new thing, you know. This has been happening for, for years and years. Here's, here's a classic guy from, I don't know, the 50s or something. Again, driving lights is the, is the thing there. Now, if you've ever been to the outback, uh, if you sort of head, head, head into the central part of Australia, I'm sure you've come across a car that looks something like, like this. I mean, how many CB aerials does a man need? 
isn't one sufficient? Isn't that going to do do the job? I don't know why you need that many. Um, and this next guy even thinks wheels is just not the thing anymore. He's going to make it so that he can go anywhere on those tracks. Now, this is such a thing that you don't even need to um, do this after you buy the car. You can actually buy the cars straight off the, the floor room, factory floor room uh, like this. Now, as I said, you, you, a lot of the women in the room might be thinking, what are you talking about? This is all going over my head. But this could be talked about in fashion, couldn't it? You take uh, the dress or the, the suit or whatever it is and you accessorise it by necklaces, brooches, hair bangles, uh, handbags, scarves, whatever it is, okay? So you, you add to it. So, so again, you can kind of go over the top when it comes to accessorising your outfit. How many bangles does one lady need? And this next person, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe there's something that's wrong with them. I don't know. But, again, it's, it gets to a point where accessorising is to the extreme. Now, the main premise with accessorising is you take the original product and you add things to it in order to personalise it, Right? That's the, the, the premise of accessorising. You take the original product, you add to it to personalise it. Now, I start like that because that is precisely what was happening in the church in Colossae when it came to the gospel. They were taking the original product, what had been passed down to them, what they had been taught, and they were adding to it to make it personal. Now, we might think, well, that's what they did back then. That's you know, ancient history. But I bet that if we ask around the room or if we look around the church today, how have we taken the gospel, the original product, and added to it, whether that be religious requirements, whether that be uh, tick box things that we have to do, whether that be behavioural things, whether that be uh, how we serve or how we give or, you know, what are we adding to the pure essential gospel of Jesus Christ that we spoke about and sang about this morning, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we had our turns back, he was the one who made a way who took our sin upon the cross, who dealt with the consequences of that sin and death, who was buried and he was victorious over it and he was raised to new life and that we are raised with him as new creations, that the old is gone and the new has come and that we are not saved by works but by, by grace through faith. And, and we have the spirit in us to enable us to live this godly life. How have we added to that simple, basic truth? Well, the church in Colossae, they were adding to it. They were saying all sorts of things. They were accessorising the gospel. Um, 
it's it's interesting. I was um, talking with Hans Vortman the other day, and Hans often talks about the the Jesus movement times, how they are a, a great time and a great time in our history where many young people uh, came to faith in Christ. And uh, there was this story about what happened at the time of the Jesus movement, where um, it was getting a lot of press, and so someone from a newspaper. It was Time magazine or or a newspaper or something like that was interviewing some of the ministers of the denominations at the time, and there was a a minister who uh, was interviewed, and he was talking about the Jesus movement as part of this article talking about what was happening, and uh, he was sort of saying all, all these things, and there was this famous quote in it, and he said this, well. All they have, the only thing they have is Jesus. As in as a put down. As in as in saying, well, you know, we've we've got uh, tradition, we've got Bible classes, we've got a building, we've got choirs, we've got um, you know, uh, centers for for people to come like and sort of puffing himself up, sort of saying, you know, we've we've got all this stuff. They've only got Jesus. That's all they've got, as if that's a bad thing. I want to say this morning, if all you've got is Jesus, then you've got all you need. You have all you need. You don't need to add or accessorise Christ. So what was happening in Colossae? There was something called Gnosticism that was infiltrating the church. Many of you might have heard of Gnosticism. Gnosticism uh, comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the, the Gnostics uh, were, were starting to, um, to get big in the, in the area and start to influence not only society but, but church as well. And they had two main sort of things that they believed. Number one was that everything in the material world was evil and everything in the spiritual world was good. And so there was a big problem dealing with Jesus because Jesus, if he was good, if he was God, could not be in a human body because matter, material things are evil. So there was this controversy about the divinity of Christ. Jesus was either just a phantom walking on the beach and not leaving footprints because he wasn't really a, a man or he wasn't really God. So that was one of the things. The second thing was probably the, the main thing that the Gnostics were talking about was that there was, and it's where they get their name from, that there was a secret knowledge, a special knowledge that was only available to you who sought it out. So if I looked across the room today, 95% of you would get just the basic knowledge, but there'd be 5% of you who have the secret knowledge that only you guys know about. And that was the sort of thing that was happening. Now, that kind of makes sense to me. I don't know about, about you, but when I was a kid, I thought like this. I looked around the world and I was like, everyone else is sort of playing this game, a bit like the Truman Show. The Truman Show, when I watched that, I was like, hey, they made a movie about me. <laughs> I, I was looking around, like everyone 
they know about something that I don't know about because I can't make sense of this place and why am I here and what's this all about? And everyone's going about their life as if they know and and they see me and then they do this act and they pretend. And, and so is that just me? Maybe that was just me. Um, but I, could, I can understand that there's this, there's this desire in us for more. There's desire in us to, to understand maybe there's there's something beyond what has been revealed to us in Scripture. And and this was happening. I think one of the main reasons that the Da Vinci Code was so popular because it feeds this idea that there, that there is some secret that, that people know about that hasn't been, been talked about. There's some secret code that you unlock to find out the real truth. Now, I read that book and I actually enjoyed it because it was a good fiction book. But many people read it going, whoa, there's, there's stuff that's, that's hidden that have, the church isn't talking about that's all, it's all hiding. And, of course, it's all, all made up. So we take the original and we personalise it. Paul takes the language of this mystery Gnosticism, this secret knowledge, and he uses it to turn back and to present and to proclaim the gospel. So as you read Colossians, it, it is littered with language and uh, with the notions of the Gnostics, but he's using it sort of back on them. For example, in Colossians 2, we might, we'll probably go there next week, my goal is that they may encourage in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. See that? It's complete. It's not half here and then you find it later. In order that they may know the mystery of God. Why does he say the mystery? Because he's speaking to the Gnostics. Namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And later in Colossians 1, we didn't, we didn't get to this part in reading it this morning, but I've become its servant by a commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Nothing to add. It's been revealed. This is it. The mystery that has been kept hidden for generations and is now disclosed to the Lord's people to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he takes this idea of secret mystery, hidden truth, and he uses it to present the gospel to these people who are starting to think off track from the original point. So he's declaring who Jesus is and what he has done. In fact, um, Bishop J.B. Lightfoot says this about the book of Colossians. He says, The doctrine of the person of Christ here is stated here with greater precision and fullness than any other of St. Paul's epistles. So So obviously Paul is really wanting to make a point. There is a threat to Christianity. There is a threat to the gospel. Here is a chance to really declare the full doctrine of the person and the work of Christ. And it's into that context 
that we read. So Paul is, in essence, saying two things, and he speaks to those two things of the Gnostics. He says that Jesus is supreme, the supremacy of Christ, that he is God incarnate, uh, to that, that point of is Jesus both God and man, and the sufficiency of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus and the sufficiency of Jesus. And he, he, he tackles both those points of the Gnostics. So if you're ever wanting to know about what Colossians is about, it's the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. So let's, let's get into it. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Who here has seen God? Who here knows what God is like? How do you know what God is like? Because it's been revealed to you in Christ. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. The word image in Greek is icon, which is where we get our English word icon. So Jesus is the icon, he is the image, he is the, the picture of the invisible God. If you ever want to do something really interesting, do a, a Greek word search on, on icon. It's, it's fascinating. What, there is such a depth to this word that what Paul is saying is it's not just like a portrait, a sketch. Um, if, if you were to do a portrait of me and to draw all oh, that looks like Sam, Icon actually means to the point where it is so like it that it actually becomes the manifestation of it. So Jesus is the manifestation of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Christ. In a similar way, when there was uh, legal things drawn up in, in Greek times, if there was an IOU or a debt or something, it would be signed at the bottom with an icon. And the icon was a description of the parties of the contract because you didn't have photos or, or anything like that to say, well, that's that person. The icon was the distinguishing features and characteristics of the people that the contract was between. So at the bottom of the contract, you've got this icon that says... This person had a scar on their face. They had they had black hair. They were so that you could say who they were. And so Jesus is the is the characteristic, the distinguishing traits of God. It, and it actually goes further than that. In verse nineteen, he takes this idea and he says, "For God was pleased to have all His fullness." So it's not just a likeness. It's not just um, he is kind of a representation of it. All his fullness was in Christ. So if you want to know who God is like, then you just simply need to look to Christ. And there is the icon, the image. If you ever come across anyone 
who in the shopping centre or down the pub and they say, God is like this. If what they describe is not the distinguishing characteristics of Christ, then the picture, the icon they have of God is not right. It is incorrect. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, that just as a side note, it says the firstborn. A lot of um, cults and, and other religions like this verse because they say, oh, the Bible says that Jesus was born like he was created. He wasn't God. He was, he was something that happened later on. He was an, an afterthought. Look, he was firstborn or creation. The word firstborn there doesn't actually mean that he was created. Firstborn is a place of honour. Firstborn means um, a high position over all creation. Later on, he, Paul, he says that he was there at the beginning. <laughs> if you look at John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he was with God in the beginning. So Jesus wasn't created. Jesus always has been. He wasn't firstborn he, in that English sense. He's firstborn in terms of place of honour and position. We see this all through Scripture. Jesus, um, in Exodus, God says that Israel is his firstborn. It says that um, uh, Joseph had two sons. He had Manasseh, who was firstborn, literally, and he had Ephraim. And it says later on in Deuteronomy, God says, and I call Ephraim my firstborn. That Ephraim wasn't literally firstborn. What he's saying is that through that line is going to be the position of honour of Christ. So that's just a little side thing for you to think about. For in him, that is Jesus, now I want you to take note of how many times it says all things. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, so all things. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, there it is again, firstborn from among the dead. Now, Jesus wasn't the first one to be raised. Uh, there are people in the Old Testament raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead before Christ. So, again, it's not saying that. He's the, he's the the, the, the one in highest honour from those who have been raised from the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So here is the supremacy of Christ being, being uh, illustrated. For in him all things were created. Let's just think about that for a moment. I think one of two of the most existential kind of philosophical questions that every single human being has is who am I and why am I here? Who am I and why am I here? I think most human beings struggle with that. Here we find the answer to both of those questions. All things have been created. 
So that includes you. That includes me. So we can actually personalise this here. So in him, Ronnie has been created. In him, David has been created. In him, Suresh has been created. In him, Barb has been created. And through him and for him. So who you are is you are a created being. And why are you here? You're here for a relationship with Christ. You are created for him. Now, um, if any of you have watched the Olympics, you might have caught up with, have we got this video? Yeah, it is there. Um, With Nicola McDermott, who was the high jumper, uh, the woman's high jumper who, who got silver. And she did this amazing interview after her silver medal. And I want to play it to you with, with the thought of what I just said then, that the, the understanding of who we are in Christ changes our life. When we answer that question of I am created in him, I am loved by him, I am, my purpose is to be in relationship with him. And when you get that right, everything else is an add-on. Everything else is, is plus when you get the basics of this. So if you can show that video, that'd be great. It's, it's my heart and I just want to say thank you to Australia for, for being on this journey with me to gold. This silver's like gold for me today. Um, and, you know, my hope is that the stadiums will be filled again yeah. um, in a post-COVID world, but um, maybe not even just for athletics performances, but that we'll see revivals again in the stadiums and that people would hear a message of faith and a gospel and really inspire like they did in Billy Graham decades ago. And um, that's my dream from a medal. I'm definitely still jumping in Paris. I'm going after that goal, but um, I'm going to keep putting my 100% in because if this is just like a little bit of encouragement for one person watching that anything is possible when you have faith, then... I've done my job today. Oh, you have done your job. Mark, there's so many questions I want to ask you. I'll start with your faith. When did this become such a significant part of your life? I think as a teenager, um, you know, I was, I was always an outcast and I got welcomed in um, to a faith community that loved me. And I just remember encountering God's love and it changed the way that I thought of myself as a misfit and like, you know, why am I created so tall and stuff? And it gave me passion and purpose to use it. Um, and I, I think in, in 2017 was my big moment where it, it flicked a switch and I just decided to pursue God over sport. And whatever comes with sport is a bonus, but I'm already complete and perfect in love regardless of it. And that's just allowed me to soar over every high jump bar and not be, um, not be scared anymore because I'm loved and that's the most important thing. How amazing was that? <laughs> Pretty inspiring that she is complete, that she is loved, and that makes all the difference, and that that's there first before high jumping. It doesn't. She didn't even care where she comes because she knows who she is in Christ and why she's here is to be in relationship with him. What a difference Jesus makes. So Jesus 
creates everything. And then it says he holds all things together. And we know that Jesus at the end of time will bring all things, and it says later in Colossians, to reconcile all things to himself. So through Jesus, everything was created. He sustains and upholds all things, spirit, uh, scientific laws, the way of the world, you and I. And at the end of time, he's going to reconcile all things to himself. Now, who, what other religious leader, spiritual philosopher, um, prophet can have that on their resume? That they created all things, that they sustain all things, and they'll reconcile all things to themselves at the close. Who else has got that? So there is the supremacy of Christ. If you're ever with anyone who's looking and searching for answers, no one has got anything up on Christ when it comes to a resume of who they are and what they have done. So that's nothing more to add, the supremacy of Christ. So now on to the sufficiency. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now for all you English teachers what does sufficiency mean? What does it mean to have sufficiency? <laughs> it means it's enough. You don't need to add to it. You don't need anything more. We don't need to accessorize it by adding to it requirements or intensity of, of anything. My grace is sufficient for you. We are saved by grace through faith. So Paul goes on to clearly define the simple, pure, original gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, uh, go back to the end of verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the way Jesus has reconciled us. This is the way his grace has been sufficient. This is the gospel. And then he goes on to say, once you were alienated from God, distanced, far away, separated, unable to be in communion with him because of our sin. But Jesus came and took that sin and dealt with it. Therefore, we have now been reconciled through Christ's physical body, through death, to present us now not as sinful human beings, but perfect, holy in his sight, without blemish. And then he says, though, that if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move from the hope, you see that? Let's not, let's not add to it. Let's not, let's not steer off course here from, from what is being preached and he says, this is the gospel you have heard. What I've just presented. This is it. This is the gospel that has been proclaimed to every creature. There is no effort, no requirement, no works, no tick boxes, no law, no anything to add on top of the gospel that has been presented. 
if anyone, anyone tries to sell you anything that is beyond that, walk away. Because we'll get ourselves into trouble and we'll find ourselves just like the people in Colossae who were who had itching ears and wanted to perhaps know that there was something secret, something more, something that I need that's added to it. And you can understand it, can't you? Surely, surely there's something that's required of me. Surely it can't be that graceful, that simple. Surely I need to do something. Why was it that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Why was it that while I was alienated from God, he actually brought me back into his presence? You know, wherever the New Testament talks about reconciliation, it doesn't say that God was reconciled to us. It wasn't that God came to us. It's that he brings us to him. Not through our own works, not through our own efforts, It was all his grace. It was all his love. Jesus, strong and kind. What a loving, loving God that we have that he would choose to bring us back into right relationship with him. All things are being reconciled to him. Not just humanity, but all of creation. Again, this picks up on the notion that, that the material world can't be evil because God's created it and God wants it to be part of who he is. So as we look into the world, we can see the beauty and the stamp of God in all that we see as he reconciles all things to himself. So there is a warning. I'm just going to, just aware of time, I'm going to skip through this next bit. There's a warning that that Paul says later on in Colossians. He says, verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Ever been in in a fine-sounding argument with someone? It sounds good. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I can see the point where you're coming from. But again, if it's adding on to or even taking away from what has been revealed to us in Scripture, who Jesus is, what he has done for us, we need to be walking away. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. See, Christ is everything. Jesus is everything. All we need is Christ. All we need is Christ. So I want to finish with a question this morning before we head into communion. And that is, in what way have you personally accessorised the gospel? What have you added to the original revelation revealed to us in Scripture that is either holding you back or burdening you or making you have a a sense that there is no joy and freedom and life? 
What have you accessorized to the pure original product? We're gonna I'm gonna invite the musicians up. And they're gonna sing a song um, as we as we take communion. But I just want us just to keep thinking about that question. What what have I added that I've made this personal for my own well-being? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross, bearing our sin, our guilt, our shame, to be able to take it, to put it to to death in order that we might be presented to him holy and blameless in his sight. And after supper, he took a cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember what Jesus did on the cross. We remember his one all perfect and sufficient sacrifice this was enough this was enough this was enough to reconcile you back to God to deal with all your past sin all of your future sin to present you holy and blameless to give you a hope of a future It's all here. It's all here in the cross of Christ. Nothing more to be added. Do we need to come back and remember that today? If you come today still on the journey, still asking the questions, who am I, why am I here? Perhaps this morning as you take the cup and the bread, you might see Christ's supremacy that there is no other like him. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forevermore you reign. What a powerful name it is. And you might want to pray a prayer as you take it and say, Lord, I see that you are Lord of Lords. I see that there is no one like you. I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my hope in you. And I want to experience this new life that you have for me. If you come today with burdens held back by things of life remember his one perfect sufficient sacrifice was to take those from you and to replace it with a new life in him if you've been a Christian around for many 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 years perhaps you've slipped into a bit of Gnosticism, a bit of adding to. 
What is it that as you come and you remember and you take the cup and the bread that you need to strip away, that you need to come back to the original product again and find peace and joy in him? Lord, we thank you for your, for your cross. We thank you that there is nothing more to add, that your sacrifice was sufficient for every single person to come into a right relationship with you. And so, Lord, as we come to your table, we ask that you minister to us, you speak to us. Lord, if there are things that need to be stripped away, would you strip them away? If there are burdens that we carry, would you lift them? If there is a revelation of you that we need to know, would you reveal yourself to us? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite this section up first, um, just so that we don't have lots of people near each other. So if you guys want to come out uh, to the, the centre aisle from the, from the front, aisle by aisle, come take the bread, take the cup, and then come back up the centre aisle. And then once the, the last people up the, the back are done, then we're going to do the same thing down here. If you, you enter out there and then come back up the centre aisle. Keep the cup and the bread with you as we eat and drink together. Just pray that this be a real time of ministry, that you open yourself up to the Lord speaking to you. As you, as the musicians sing about the cross of Christ being everything, may you sit and dwell on all that God has done for you.
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That is for you, that is for me, that is for everyone who wants to come and put their faith in Christ. So this is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Feed on him now. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ his blood that was poured out for you and for me so that we might have peace with God take and drink Thank you for your love that was demonstrated there, that you laid it all down for us, that you held nothing back, that you gave yourself to death so that we might live. So Lord, we just come to you now with thankful hearts, grateful hearts, and we just want to respond to that gift of grace that you've given us. And declare that Jesus, you are enough. That if all I have is Jesus, then I have all I need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just continuing a a time of ministry as God's speaking to you, as sensing the Spirit just touching on those areas of your life to, to lay aside. We're going to sing this next song. I invite you to either sit in that moment or you want to stand and and proclaim with, with passion and inspiration that Christ is enough for me, that he is all we need.
um, for bringing us a, a great message this morning. It's always good to uh, go to the scriptures. Um, it's really scripture-filled message this morning. Uh, should always be the source of our, our teaching and the way the Lord just reveals himself to us. Um, yeah, in ways that's not so hard to grasp but available to all of us. So, um, this is the sort of the end of the, the formal part of the service this morning, but there's an opportunity to stick around for a while. And if you've come wanting prayer or to perhaps talk to someone about something the Lord said to you this morning, there's an opportunity to join someone in the prayer room just to the right, um, just before you go out. Uh, if you also like to stick around for a cup of tea or coffee or a chat, um, there's that opportunity as well. So yeah, I encourage you to hang around for a little while. Um, and just, just in terms of leaving you with a thought uh, this morning, uh, it's in Colossians 3. We didn't quite get to Colossians 3, uh, but this, this is just perhaps a great word to uh, leave you with this morning, and it's um, from verses 16 to 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah, God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.